Welcome to the Immigrant Stories Program. I'm your host, Walter Gallagher. And my guest today is Trelock O'Raradon, Director of the Irish Studies Program at the University of Montana, Missoula. Trelock was recruited by the University of Montana, Missoula in 2001 to develop an Irish Studies Program and teach the Irish language and Gaelic culture. And over the last 20 years, the program has drawn students from the United States, Ireland, and a host of other countries. Traylock is the first to remind people that the success of the program is due to the rich Irish culture that has existed in Montana for over 175 years. He points out that at the height of the Montana's mining boom days, the town of Butte had more Irish than any of the United States major cities. Let me just start by welcoming you to Immigrant Stories. Well, thank you so much uh, for inviting me. And um, I hope I have something that people are interested in listening to. Of course you, know? you do. Yeah. You you were born in New York and went uh, went back to Ireland. Your family went back to Ireland in when you were two years old. I was younger. It was actually about six months. Wow. Yeah. I think that's how old my father was when he came here. Yeah, it kind of went in the opposite direction exactly. because my own father never settled in New York. And I suppose it's like with a lot of immigrants, you know, the body moves out here, but the heart doesn't really come, you know? Exactly. So I was back in Ireland, so you're kind of caught in this space between, between both, between Ireland and America. And I suppose in the end of the day, that's the essence of uh, Irish-American identity. Well, that's what, that was the story of my grandfather, I think. He never... He he was here, but he, I think, culturally and mentally, he was still in Ireland, like so many immigrants. Yeah. And a lot of immigrants come here expecting to go back. Well, they do, and when they can't, they recreate uh, <laughs> Ireland out here. Yeah, they you know? did a pretty good job of that, too, didn't they? They did a great job of it. I mean, and they managed to pass down a great sense of uh, heritage and identity, you know, yeah. An attachment to the to the country and to the people. You were talking about your grandparents before we really got on air. So you you were remembering growing up with your grandparents. That's correct. Yeah. You see, my um, my father never really settled here, and he always wanted to go back home. And it seems to me that the decision, even though I imagine it had been discussed, um, my eldest brother had been born. He was uh, a year. Um, old. I was born I was six, about six months or thereabouts and then my mother was expecting the third guy <laughs> and they were confronted with this, this decision then of whether or not they were going to stay in the Bronx in New York or do as a lot of Irish were doing in the 60s. They were moving, you know, upstate to Rockland County up around Pearl River or they were moving out to the island or moving to New Jersey. And I think my father basically saw that unless he made his decision, basically pulled the trigger now, he may never end up going back to Ireland. And he made the decision then, and I'm sure my mother was involved as well. But he hadn't set up anything at home. So when we went back to Ireland, we went back to my mother's people who were in South Kerry. Mm. Then my grandfather was a farmer and fisherman back there. And uh, so we spent two years of our lives back in, in South Kerry. And even when we did move and relocate to Cork City, we were sent back practically every summer. 
and at certain times of the year when there was manual labor, because we're not talking about a mechanized agricultural business here. Right. I mean, yeah, we were able to get a tractor in to cut the hay, but you went out then with pikes and you turned the hay to dry it and you made cocks. Then it was a donkey and cart that came and drew the hay into the island, into the, into the barn, into the, the hay shed. Uh, and it was all done by hand. Milking cows was done by hand. An awful lot of the work was done by hand. So the kids you know? went and you you were uh, sent to the grand folks f during, during that time? Yeah, during that time, yeah, we all were, you know, and um, because you needed labor. Right. And we were cheap labor. All you had to do was <laughs> feed us, you know, and um, we picked up an awful lot. We learned an awful lot. My grandparents were native Irish speakers. So that's where I was first exposed to the, to the, the Irish language. And, um, but my grandfather, myself and my grand, my, my, both my grandfather and my grandmother, I got on very, very well with him. But I was very interested in my grandfather's stories. Um, like the thing about my grandfather was that he was raised in a home where there was no English spoken at all. And most of his knowledge and understanding of the world basically came down from that tradition. He was sent to school when he was eight years of age. He couldn't speak a word of English. And he didn't really leave uh, his native area. He would go um, farming as a spalpeen. So in other words, at certain times of the year when there was harvesting to be done in other counties, he would do that. But he left um, there when he got married on his honeymoon. They went to Cork, himself and my grandmother. And I think it was in early 1960 in an All-Ireland final between Kerry and Down, 30 years later that he left that area again. So this was his whole life was built around this small area in South Kerry. But his knowledge of the world, you know, was far greater than that because it was informed by this tradition of stories and songs, right. you know, right. um, the heroic uh, uh, stories of, of ancient Ireland. And also he had a very, he was very much kind of rooted in that area. So he knew all the names of fields, mountains, rocks, rivers. He was a fisherman and of course being a fisherman, his life depended on being able to read the weather. And uh, he was always looking at the wind. He was obsessed with the wind and talking <laughs> about the sea. And I think that's where his heart was always in the sea, you know. Um, and he shared a lot of this information with me. And I developed a very strong uh, attachment to that culture and to that area in, in Ireland. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Immigrant Stories Program. Dr. Trelock O'Riordan, professor of Irish studies at the University of Montana, Missoula is remembering his childhood in Ireland and the special love he had for his maternal grandparents, particularly his grandfather. So it sounds like your, your grandfather really was a, a really important person, kind of a North Star for you, because you have kind of followed in his footsteps and, and uh, taken that on this generation. To us, to, it was. I think that's true. What I've often said to people who have grandkids, you know, I've talked about that, my own relationship with my grandfather, but I think my brother would say the same, mm -hmm. my eldest brother, you know, right. um, because we actually, when we came back, we spent two years of our lives down there. I know I was a, a child, but he was a bit older, and he as well had a very strong bond with, with uh, my grandfather and my grandmother, even though he was a kind of a strict man and so forth, he put up with no nonsense, 
he also felt like we were an audience, you know, for him to, <laughs> to tell his stories and right. so forth and show us how to do things. You know, he showed us how to build, you know, things to catch boards, cribs to catch boards and different things like that and where to go fishing in the river and what, what to do and all these well, different things. Well, he must have we... been a fascinating person, you know. I mean, he must have been a great storyteller to keep a child's yeah. attention. You know, you have to well, be pretty good at a story. He was. The thing is, is that he was speaking a lot in English and his English wasn't that great, you know. So a lot of times you were actually asking him questions, you know, and getting the information out of him. And then we'd have my grandmother who would supplement it as well. And so I think in the course of it all, we got a great sense of a connection to him and to the world in which we lived, you know, right. and also the sense of, I suppose, the heroism of the generations that went before us. Yes. You know, and what they did and what they had to do because they didn't um, kind of, you know, sugarcoat anything. Yeah. You know, they basically would, would tell you things as they were. And they were kind of, I suppose, well, they, today. They had, they had to. They had to prepare you. Well, that's what they were doing. Keep, exactly. To keep that a secret wouldn't steal you for what was about to happen to you as well. Yeah. Yeah, I remember a story. My grandmother, you know, there was a goat, that a feral goat that was coming around and was causing all kinds of havoc. Anyway, um, they got the goat, but there was a Dutch settler with a lot of Dutch come into the area who wanted the goat, wanted to eat the goat. It was going to come and kill us. So I was sent over to hold the goat down oh. while he slit the goat's throat. I was about 10. So anyway, I did this, yeah. and it was kind of horrific, you know, and I held the goat in the wrong place and I ended up getting blood all over my pants. So I gone through this whole procedure of this guy killing this goat, the cries of agony from the goat uh, during all of it, got blood everywhere. I was kind of, I said, traumatized. And I went back to the house having gone through all of this. My grandmother saw my pants. And the first thing that she said to me, and for the love of God, you know, what were you doing? He was killing the goat. Well, why did you stand where the blood was? Look at the state of your pants. <laughs> and I got a blooming chewed out. You know, there was no... Because you didn't know where to stand. Yeah, not, not to... Exactly. You know, I got the pants um, uh, yeah. covered in blood, yeah. you know. And there was no question about whether this was going to be, you know, kind of a traumatic or upsetting experience. Oh, no. You're going to learn all of that. You're going to do all of that. And basically, yeah. that was it. This is life. Yeah. That's life. Yeah. Exactly. You know? If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Immigrant Stories Program. Dr. Trelock O'Riordan, Director of the Irish Studies Program at the University of Montana, Missoula, is describing how growing up in Ireland shaped his life and his career. You learned all these things from your grandparents and your, and your parents and your uncles that helped sort of steer you where you are today, you know, that... Oh, it had a huge impact. I think one of the uh, things is um, there's a, there was a very famous Irish poet, Sean O'Reardon, and if you ever visit his grave in Badawurna, uh, uh, written on the grave, is, uh, says, I'm nothing more than a part of the body of my ancestry. So I am a continuation of what they are. I am who I am because, because of them. And I understand what he says because I always felt I was part of a family, not a kind of an individual, but I was representing a kind of a, a family, a community, a clan, a tribe, a people, well, you know. You think about the blood in your veins is this 
goes back generations. You know, you're it part does, of yeah. this. It does. Yeah. And there's a kind of a sense as well, you know, these generations pass very quickly and there's kind of an obligation. You feel that to pass what you have on down to the, to the next person, you know, um, right. which I suppose all we all kind of instinctively do anyway. But maybe we don't speak about it often enough. We don't speak about who we are, who our parents were, our grandparents were, who were these people that came before us, you yeah. know? And um, That's what some... were the challenges they had to face? And Yeah, yeah. I th we just go on thinking that we're sort of disconnected. And it's one of my favorite things to ask. Where where are you from and what, what are you about? Because that yeah. tells you almost everything, yeah. you know, at least gives but you... It, What's interesting in the Irish language is one of the ways, the ways, a very common way of asking, like, who are you, is Kirdivto. In other words, who are you from? In other words, who are your people? Mm -hmm. And, like, you can see that in Ireland. I was home there, uh, it was about 10 years ago, and I was outside in the local GAA club, and I was with my what, daughter. What's, G, what's GA club? Gaelic Athletic Association, oh, the Hurling okay. and Football Club. There was some kind of a social event on there. My mother was there and there were a few older ladies and gentlemen there and there was families and kids everywhere. But anyway, I was there with, uh, and my daughter was with me and she was playing with her cousins and there was a few older people that were there and they saw her and they didn't recognize and re who she was. And one of them asked, like, who's that girl? That's, uh, who's that young girl there? And the answer that was given, oh, that's Mary and Val's granddaughter. Oh, now that's all that was needed. Once she heard that that was Mary, she knew who Mary and Val were. She knew the kids, knew uh, uncles, aunts, who her cousin, the, she fitted right in to a whole tapestry, right. you know? The map opened up in her head of, it oh. Did. That's I... all they needed to know. Yeah. And then everything else regard to who our first cousins were, second cousins were, who our aunts were, uncles were, granddads, granduncles, the whole lot. Yeah, in in uh, in the Spanish language, it's donde eres, where where are you from, who are, what are you about, you know, what? Yeah, 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 and in Irish, the answer to that would be, care de winter me, I am one of the O'Reardons. Yeah, so, you know? and when you go back, you go back in the summer every every summer, right? And we do go back every summer for about two months. Well, up to the time of COVID, we were, and we started again there last year. Uh, yeah. What's what's it like to be so immersed in two cultures? Because you you live in the United States and you are an Irish and American, and then you you return and you're the what's reentry like into a different culture after being in the other. Well, I think the thing about America, it doesn't really have a, a culture. It's got a smorgasbord of cultures. Hmm. And in that, and, and, and on that whole, I suppose, table of cultures, you have a distinctive Irish culture, the Irish-American culture, which is very strong here in Montana. Yes. Um, so you feel very comfortable here, you know, because you can identify with these people. And when you hear people that with names, Okay, so here in Montana, come across the name Sullivan. Well, automatically, there's a connection here. My grandmother's mother was an O'Sullivan. My grandfather's mother was an O'Sullivan. I grew up with all these Sullivans. And in the same kind of way, that person has already an identity. He belongs to a people that I know, and there's a connection. 
my wife used to come along and give out to me about the fact that the only friends I seemed to have were Irish, and that if the name wasn't Irish, I either one would mangle it or two <laughs> wouldn't remember it, you know, <laughs> which was kind of harsh, but I mean, it's kind of difficult to kind of mangle a name like Sullivan. These are all familiar names, and because of their familiarity and the associations with these people, once I hear their names, they're automatically lumped in with Sullivans and Harringtons and McCarthy's and Murphy's and whatever that I know already from back home in Ireland. So there's a sense that you're with your own people, even though this is not your country, you're with your own people. Well, and in Ireland, you know, from that name, uh, probably you have a pretty good idea where they where their people were in Ireland. Oh, you do. Yeah, you do. The scary part for me, like, is that some, because we're from a lot of, particularly here in Montana, from West Cork, then Cork County, where, I, where I'm from, um, is that you might be related to them, you know? <laughs> As you know, in Ireland, the gene pool isn't very deep and it isn't very wide. Yeah. So the chances are pretty high that you're probably related to it. As a matter of fact, I know there's um, families here that I am related to. But to be so immersed in Irish culture and, and Irish studies, it must be a, a wonderful thing to go back, but also hard to then pack up and come back here. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it, you see, I, it is because I don't really miss the country, you know. I mean, I say when I say the country, I don't miss the mountains and I don't miss the sea. I do. I, I would admit that I do miss huh. the fact that we're not close to the sea. But for the most part, the country itself, I don't, but I do miss the, the, the people. I do miss the culture. I do miss the sense like it's your, it's, it, even though I wasn't born there, I was born in New York. I have no memory of New York. So the only home I've ever known is Ireland. Hmm. And in a sense, it's almost like when I go back there, it's almost like uh, going back into the womb. Huh. You know, I've often said that. The house that I sleep the best in is the house uh, my parents owned back in back in Ireland. Wow! And it may be something going back to when you know when you're a child and you go home and there's a sense of sanctuary and safety and so forth, uh, and no need to worry or care about anything. And that probably lingers on right down to you know what age I am now. But if I go home there and stretch out in the the bed in that house, I'd sleep like a baby. And I get up the next day, you know, feeling yeah. like I slept like a baby. Do you still have that house? Oh, yeah. My oh, brother, my parents died. My brother uh, bought it. Uh, I have another brother living down in, in Florida. And he bought it so it would be there. If we came home from America, we needed a place to stay. Right. That it would be there, you know. So it's still there. So you know? so it, it, is, it is hard for you to reenter this smorgasbord of cultures yeah it is and it isn't because not anymore um because i suppose i have roots here now my kids are here my wife is here and i've been here for over 20 years so i've met a lot of people here you mm -hmm. know and i've become friends with an awful lot of people here and in a sense i'm kind of still living the life that i'm living uh, i would be living back in ireland mm -hmm. even though i'm doing it here like there's a very strong yeah. I mean, I can go watch hurling games here in Montana, huh. you know, live hurling games. Yeah, I was struck I by that. Uh, I attended the Celtic Festival this summer, and 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that was amazing for me to see how strong the Irish culture is in Montana, it's in Missoula. It is. And, you know, it's the same thing. I can go listen to our live Irish music. I can go watch Irish dancing, you know, that happened here, you know. So, and it's kind of, there's a constant flow of people back and forth between here and Ireland. Yeah, but I've said to my wife as well, I, you know, I can stay here. I could stay here, you know, till the end of my days. The only thing that one, all right, that I don't want, I don't want to be buried here. Uh, there are two things. One, under no circumstances, is anybody going to turn me into the Sunday roast? There'll be no cremation. <laughs> it ain't going to happen. Uh, I swear to God, if that happens, I'd haunt everybody involved in the process. I'm going to go into the ground, and I want to go into the ground with my people back home yeah. in Ireland. I can spend the rest of my days here. Yeah. I have no problem with spending the rest of my days here, so long as I can get home regularly and spend lots of time at home. But I don't want to go into the ground here. Yeah. I don't want to go into, into a graveyard with strangers. I want to go into a graveyard where I'm related to or somehow know most of the people that are in there are their families. Well, you, you've got to have conversations with a lot of those people. Exactly. Yeah. You know? So what's happening to you right now is, is what happened to your father. He, uh, he had to decide whether he was going to stay or go. You've got, you, you're watching your kids uh, turn into you know, move into this smorgasbord. And does that play on you? It does. It's um, because actually it's funny you bring, you draw that down because uh, we're looking at going back maybe next year for a year. My daughter wants to go to school in Clydesdale in Dingle. So because we've been going back since they've been, since they've been children, we've been going back for roughly two months every summer. They've gone to the local primary schools. Mm. When they've gone back there, they have made friends there. They speak the language. They speak both Irish uh. and English. So they can converse in both languages. Um, and then, of course, we homeschool them to a large extent as well. So they got an exposure to Irish literature and Irish history and uh, different aspects of Irish culture. Um, so they're very comfortable when they go back there. I mean, when people talk about different things, it's not like they're unfamiliar with these things. They're actually right. very familiar. And in some cases, maybe even more familiar. Like for example, when we were home last summer, I put Sean and Roisin on two of these summer language courses. And at the end of it, you got an award for best Irish speakers. Well, Roisin got the award for her course and Sean got the award for his course and they're from <laughs> Montana. You know, uh, and and you, but, yeah, yeah. You your chest swelled, and you were going, "Oh, okay." Well, yeah, yeah, it, it did actually. You've, you've done a great job of of uh, standing in both cultures between the two rivers, as some would say. So you're you're uh, thinking about going back and spending at least a year. That's what I'm looking to at. write a book. What, what I want to write a book on Irish American nationalism, yeah. Have you started writing that? Well, you... I have, yeah. I have huge chunks of it written, you know. And it's just a matter of sitting down, putting everything together and, you know, editing it and so forth, footnoting it and make sure that everything, uh, cross-checking everything, making sure that everything that I am saying is supported by the evidence because right. no opinion is going to stand unless there is evidence there supporting it. Sure. You know? So do you? But I enjoy it. I enjoy this stuff. I well, actually, you, you must it. be pulled. I mean, just given what you've described here, you must be pulled back to Ireland in a way that 
is just kind of hard hard on your heart in a way. Yeah, but I kind of, like I mentioned earlier, I kind of in here I feel like I'm, because uh, I have such a large, there's such a large number of Irish Americans here. Yeah. You know? Right. And it's their story, which is also my story, because without them, we wouldn't have what we have in Ireland. So the sense that there's this physical kind of boundaries, you know, like in terms of physical borders and oceans and so forth, that kind of all collapses within the culture. And what you have here are kind of, you know, two members of the same family. One is back in Ireland, the other is out here, but really right. part of the same family. Yeah. You know, the sense that you belong to that same family. You know, you know, being part of an uh, Irish famine exodus from Ireland, you know, I, when I visited, which was recently, I just had this feeling like I belonged there. And, you know, I could walk the streets where I knew my my people walked. And so yeah. there was and I don't you know, I can get nostalgic about that. But, um, yeah, it, I am well, it's Irish. good to get nostalgic about yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, that country holds 3,000 years of the bones of your ancestors, Walter. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I wish I could find the thread that got me back to, I mean, I can get as far as the shores of Ireland, but that was in the 1840s. So it's hard to try to find the records given all the things that have happened there. Oh, yeah, I know. You know, yeah. but you're a Gallagher. We grow them as well. But anyway. Thanks for uh, all you've done to to keep the Irish in in our country and keep the whole culture alive and, and uh, the cross-cultural things that you do to help people understand one another. It's been appreciated. Well, it's the the cross-cultural things are the important because I think there's a very vibrant Irish culture in this country anyway, but yeah. it's trying to get them to align again. Where exactly. You have, exactly. You know, the Irish of America and the Irish of Ireland back working together to preserve the culture. That's the real uh, right. uh, objective and goal here yeah i mean if we can do that walter we'll have um we take over the whole the we'll, whole world we'll have world peace we will nice? and we'll have the fly color trail flying in every capital I... in, the, in every city in the world <laughs> and that would be a good thing that would be a good thing well yeah. thanks thanks for the time and it's it was a, a great time to spend with you so and likewise that was trey lock O'Riordan. There's much more to this interview than fits in a half-hour format. So for those of you who would like to listen to more, please join us for part two, in which Treloc describes how the Irish immigrants organized and became a political and cultural force in the United States and Ireland in the 20th century. You can find part one and two of our interview at kdnk.org or on immigrantstories.net. Or you can subscribe to Immigrant Stories on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening. 